I don't care what it looks like, I'm diving in, right? It's a strange line, but, but isn't it? it's quite simple, really. When I'm worshiping God and when I'm living a life that's following Him, the opinions of others are not going to matter because I am worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I'm not going to try and make that look really stupid, but I'm not really going to care if it does because He's worthy of my worship and my praise. Isn't that right? So let's go to the table offering today. Praise you, God. You are worthy. You are mighty. You are glorious, Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Hey, you guys can take a seat. Thanks, team. Those were some fun songs. I'm warmed up now. Um, hopefully, the rest of you, actually, now that I'm on stage, it's really warm. Could we go back and do some slower songs so I'm not quite so warm when I get up on stage, please? That'd be good. Well, I hope you're all doing well this morning. I'm sure some of you have had a big week. Levita's had a big week. I don't know how many of you noticed and, and watched the uh, live stuff leaders debate on Thursday night, which was held here. And I don't know what opinion you might have about the whole thing, but Levita looked pretty good, I thought. I thought it did a really good job. And actually, um, um, Bill English said afterwards that he just thought it was such an honor and privilege to be standing in the same spot and wearing the same microphone that Dave Bennett was going to be using today. Um, so they're yeah, really lucky guy. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> Look, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Carl, last week was Father's Day, and the week before that, Carl spoke to us and he shared a message about identity. Uh, and it was a really, really great and powerful message, and I would encourage you to listen to it if you weren't here, or listen to it again if you were. Uh, you can download it from the website, or you can find on the website also a link to the podcast feed, or if you have iTunes, you can just search for the Life Church podcast and you'll find it there. And in his message, he spoke about the importance of understanding that our identity, our primary identity, who we are, is defined not by what we do or have done, but what, by what Jesus Christ has done through his death and resurrection, that through him, we have become sons and daughters of God. That is our identity, that we are children of God. And there's a verse that I really love. I don't think he shared it, but it just, it just sums it up. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And then I love this. And that is what we are. So we're not just called it. We are children of God because of the love that he has poured out on us. So this morning, I want to try and kind of do a part two to that message. Carl told me I could blame him because he's supposed to be preaching this morning, but he was sick on Friday, so I got the job. So there you go, I did what you told me to. I wasn't going to blame you, but you said, so I did. So now everybody knows. Now everybody secretly is mad at you instead of me, so it's good. But um, Carl shared that, shared that it's vital that we have an understanding of this identity. We have to know this. We have to know who we are in Christ, that we are children of God. Because knowing who you are and who you belong to makes all the difference in your life. It gives you great confidence when you pray, that you're praying not as a slave, not as a servant, not even as a loyal subject, but you are praying as a son or as a daughter. But it occurred to me as I was reflecting on Carl's message that not only is it important to understand what my primary identity is in Christ, but also to actually understand that other people are still going to try and identify me through other means. 
Right? I want to grow in my understanding and my security and my assurance and my identity that I am a child of God. But I, I also recognize that other, others won't necessarily identify me that way. So there's my identity, who I am, but there's actually how I am identified. And they might not be the same thing. So my message this morning is, in, is entitled, Identify Yourself. Now, I know this all might sound a bit strange at the moment, but just bear with me, and I'm sure at least one more person will understand what I'm on about by the end of the message. Listen to these various passages. There's three different passages here uh, that Apostle Paul wrote in, in different letters. There's actually a whole bunch of other ones as well. This is just three of them. In Galatians 3, he says this, So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, there is, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then in Colossians 3, he says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And then elsewhere, Philippians 3, he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh or in, their, in other identities, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And then he goes on in verse 20 to say, but our citizenship is in heaven. Look at all these different things that Paul lists here, different ways that the society of the time may choose to identify you or may have identified you if you'd been there. They might have said you were Jew or Gentile, all right? So if you were identified as a Jew, then what they're saying, then you are one of God's chosen people, right? That's what the that's what the Jewish people believe, that we are God's chosen people. So if you identify, though, as a Gentile, then you are not one of God's chosen people. But Paul's saying that distinction no longer matters because in Christ you are a child of God. He says there's slave or there's free. So people might at the time identify you as a slave, somebody who basically has no rights. right? Or you're a free man, so you have all full rights and you, you can do your own thing. But those rights are not the rights you have in the kingdom. The rights you have in the kingdom are given you because you're both heirs of the promise. You're both children of God. Male or female. Now, at the time of writing in particular, the rights you had as a male or a female were vastly different. And some might say it hasn't changed much, but in this society, it was very, very, very different. But those rights and privileges that society has given or not given you as male or female make no impact on the rights you have as a child of God because there is no distinction between male and female. You are a child of God. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Another way that people of the time could have been identified or separated into distinct groups was those who have been set apart unto God, which is what circumcision was a symbol of, all right, or those who haven't been set apart, the uncircumcised. Although I must admit that would be quite funny, wouldn't it? Can I have all the circumcised in one line here, please, and all the uncircumcised in this? No, you're in wrong line. Wrong line, yeah. But they did. They categorized. You're either set apart or you weren't. Barbarian, Scythian. 
It doesn't matter if you come from a barbaric tribe who, uh, as it is believed, actually drank the blood of their enemies out of bowls that they made out of their skulls, all right? So Scythians, they were nice people. Uh, But if you come to Christ, that is no longer your identity. Your identity is now that you are a child of God, right? All those people out there who've drunk blood of their enemies from bowls made of skulls feeling really relieved right now. And then uh, in the other passage where he's actually talking about his, uh, his credentials and how he has the right to speak, he, he talks about he's being of the people of Israel. So his nationality, now no, it no longer matters. Your heritage, being of the tribe of Benjamin, that no longer matters. Uh, being your family, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, that, that's no longer your identity. Your knowledge, what you understand, he was a Pharisee of the law, but that's not his identity anymore. Your actions his zeal in persecuting the church, or your own goodness or good deeds, your righteousness based on the law, those things no longer identify you properly. They no longer reflect your true identity that you are a child of God. I think in any sphere of life, who I truly am and who others think I am may not, in fact, probably will not completely line up, right? So I might come to a complete and full understanding and an assurance that I am a child of God, and that is my identity. But if we're being, being honest, that probably isn't the first thing most of you think of when you see me, right? Some of you probably can't even repeat the first thing that you think of when you see me. But within this room, there will be a wide range of ways that people would identify me. For some, in the, or at least one in this room, I'm actually dad. That is my primary identity to them. For one, only one, I'm husband, or, or darling dearest, or snookums, as I'm sometimes called. <laughs> snookums. Sugar puff, I don't know. For some, I'm a brother. For some, I'm a friend. For others in this room, the primary way you would identify me is as a pastor. For others, you would say I'm a musician. For some others, you may primarily identify me as a technician or even IT support. There would be some here, I think, who even after five years would still identify, identify me first as a school teacher. Some would identify me as a Star Wars fan, and now you're finally on track. And there are others, especially after last week's performance, would look at me and first of all just identify me as a bit of a goof, really. (laughs) Who I am and what others think I am don't always line up quite right. In fact, sometimes people just get it plain wrong. Uh, A number of years ago, in talking with the family, we believe it was the year 1990. Uh, The Commonwealth Games were in in Auckland that year, and we think that's when it was. And my great-aunt and great-uncle, who have both since passed away, were in Picton on a holiday during the time of one of the Queen's royal visits, royal tours of New Zealand. We think she was here for the Commonwealth Games, and then she did a number of stops through the country. That's our our recollection. And there was a a public event of some kind where the Queen was going to make an appearance. So my aunt Edna and my uncle Ron decided that they would like to attend. Now, my aunt was elderly at the time. If it was 1990, she, she would have been 74 And it was an outdoor event, so she dressed up warmly in a coat, and she had a scarf 
wrapped around her head and was wearing a hat and was using a walking stick. So she was sort of all bundled up and, and hunched over a bit. And when Uncle Ron dropped her at the entrance and then he went off to get a park, uh, Edna wandered in to the sort of stadium area and, uh, and as she went in, she was spotted by a very kindly gentleman who came over to her and greeted her warmly and said how wonderful it was to see her and, and, uh, and made her feel very, very welcome. And then this gentleman, who actually, um, we realized, it turned out actually to be uh, Sir Tipene O'Regan, who at the time was the chairman of the Naitahu Māori Trust Board. All right? So he, he took Edna and he led her to uh, her, a seat. I've got, I've got a seat for you. And uh, led her to a seating area right at the front of the venue. And um, she, you know, placing her in a prime spot. And it had a wonderful view of everything that was going on. And it was quite close to the Queen and all that sort of stuff. So as you can imagine, Edna thought this was pretty good. She hadn't really expected uh, to have such a great seat. She hadn't thought that she'd be in such an honoured position. She just assumed it must have been because she was an older woman and with, a, with her walking stick, and, and she'd been placed there, um, and she was so thrilled that she was going to be able to see everything so clearly. And poor Uncle Ron had no idea where she was. He was still at the entrance <laughs> trying to figure out where she'd gone. Anyway, as the event got underway, uh, Auntie Edna was happily observing uh, everything that was going on when at some point in the proceedings it was announced that the choir or the performance group was going to sing. And Edna found that everybody around her in her seating area stood up. The people in front, beside, and behind all stood up together ready to perform for the Queen. So for some reason... Sir Tipene O'Regan had clearly mistaken Edna for somebody that she wasn't. And whoever he thought she was was obviously a member of this performing arts group and had seated her with the choir in full view of the whole audience, and particularly the Queen. Now, of course, my auntie Edna, being who she was, figured there was only one thing she could do. And much to the delight of Uncle Ron, she stood up with the choir, (laughs) mouthed all the words and copied all the actions as best as she possibly could. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of how my auntie Edna got VIP treatment from the chairman of the Naitahu Māori Trust Board and performed for Queen Elizabeth II. (laughs) It's brilliant. So funny. Edna Edna was not meant to be a part of that group. That wasn't her identity. But there was something about her appearance on that day, at that time, in that context, and in that moment, which led them to mistakenly identify who she was. Now, just because they made an error in the identification didn't actually change her identity at all, right? But it did make for a very funny story. You know, even Jesus had to deal with the question of his true identity versus how people identified him. Look at this passage from Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? The Son of Man referring to himself. They replied, some say... John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Who do people say I am? How are other people identifying me? Well, some are saying John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. That is how people are identifying you. 
but none of those were his true identity, which was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If you look at my wallet, you'll almost never find any money whatsoever. I think there's a movie ticket in here, though. I shouldn't have said that. Only one, sorry, guys. Have to go by, no, I won't go by myself. But if you look at my wallet, you'll find that I have a bunch of different ways that I can identify myself in my wallet. And if I go to the library, for example, I can use my library card to identify myself as David Bennett's, but also as a member of the Canterbury Public Library, and I can borrow books, right? But that way of identifying myself is no use if I go to New World and want to get discounts off my groceries, right? I have to, I have to grab my New World club card to say, hey, I'm, I'm a part of the, of the club. And uh, interestingly, they both actually identify me as David Bennett's. Like, they actually both point to my identity, but they, they're not acceptable to identify myself in the other place. But this way of identifying myself, of course, is no use if I want to go to an FPOS machine and get me money out, right? If I, if I go to an FPOS machine, I'm going to have to get my FPOS card because the bank needs me to use that card to identify myself. It won't accept another way of identifying myself, even though, again, it actually says that I'm David Bennett's again, right? But this FPOS card, as powerful as it might be at an FPOS machine, if I'm pulled over by a police officer, actually doesn't do much good. In fact, if I'm pulled over by a police officer and pull out my FPOS card or credit card, I could be in a lot more trouble, really. Um, but the, I have to use my driver's license to prove who I am and that I have the right to be driving that vehicle. That is the way that I identify myself, even though my identity hasn't actually changed between all these things. But I have to use a different method to prove my identity depending on who is asking me. But then if my true identity, if my primary identity, the thing that defines me is actually that I am a child of God, how do I identify myself as that? I don't carry a card in my wallet identifying myself as a child of God. I mean, I guess I could, but I'm not sure that anybody would find that particularly useful proof or evidence of my claim. But surely there must be some way, right? If my identity is that I am a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ, how do I prove that and identify myself as that? Would you please turn with me to John chapter 13? John 13. This is the NIV. We're going to read it. I'm going to read a couple of different versions of this passage. Verses 34 to 35. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. And the New Living Translation puts it this way. Same thing, but just a couple of different words. So, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Interesting. A new commandment. Actually, the word used here really means a refreshed or renewed commandment. 
You know, Jesus had already made it clear through his teachings that we are to love, that we're to love God, we're to love our neighbor. But here he's giving the disciples a fresh or a refreshed take on the idea. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, love each other. This is the proof that the world needs to know that you are my disciples. Love one another. The proof the world needs is not what your worship sounds like. It's not how long you pray. It's not how much you read the word. Keep doing those things. Those things are great, but they are not the evidence we need to display in order for the world to identify us as children of God. We do that by loving one another. So what does that look like? How do we do that? You know, the context that Jesus gives this new command is during the Last Supper. And only a few minutes before he'd spoken these words, he had gone around on his hands and knees and washed the feet of the disciples. He had humbled himself as a servant and had told the disciples, this is what you should do for each other. You have to serve one another, to love as he has loved. And then only a few moments later, still at this time of of the Last Supper, Jesus continues to teach what it means to love each other. And we find it in John 15. He says again, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then really makes it really clear for them what's going to happen. You are my friends if you do what I command. Just as he has loved us, love each other, and then the world will have proof that we are his disciples, that we are children of God. Serve one another, put others ahead of ourselves, lay down our lives for each other. That is the way we can identify ourselves as children of God. If we go back to a passage we read earlier from Colossians 3, uh, and just add a couple of verses on after it. We already read earlier here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And then it says, therefore. So if that's not our identity anymore, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's a good start. It's tough, but it's a good start. Bear with each other. Now, actually, that one, I reckon you can, I can probably cope with that, right? I can... I can bear with people, that's okay, can, can handle that, doesn't sound too hard. But then it says, forgive one another. If at all possible, don't hold on to hurts, don't hold on to offenses or grievances. With this many people in a room, somebody is going to offend you. I probably already have this morning. Then I humbly ask for your forgiveness. I humbly ask that you would bear with me. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues, put on Love. Interesting use of phrases, clothe yourselves with, put on love. These are attitudes and characteristics that we need to grab hold of and place on our lives every day 
It's, it's interesting. It doesn't say that even that it's necessarily coming from within you. It's, it's almost this external action. I have to choose to clothe myself with gentleness and patience. I have to choose to put on love so that in a place like this, I can bear with you and forgive you and be gentle and be kind and show love. You know, it's still pretty tough in a context of a church with, with hundreds or in gatherings where there's thousands of people, right? How do you do it? Well, it's, it's actually really simple. You have to get involved with smaller groups of people. When Jesus was on earth, he spent some of his time with crowds, right? But really, you know, thousands of people at a time. But we also know from other passages like in Luke 10 that there were a number of followers, maybe up to about 100, and, and he chose 72 of them to go out on a mission and go into the villages and the towns and to, to prepare the way for him because he was going to visit and go preach in those villages and towns. You know, 72 is still quite a large group of people, but it's a lot less than thousands. But they were more like a working group. It almost, to me, I sort of think, mate, it sounds like that's the serving team that you could join at church, right? I mean, you, you join in with a group of people and we've got something to do together. And in that, we can practice bearing with each other and forgiving each other, right? But while Jesus spent time with crowds and he had at least these 72 disciples, we actually know, don't we, that he spent way more of his time with actually just 12. 12 disciples, a smaller, more intimately sized group that met together, ate together, prayed together, walked together, worshipped together. Sounds a lot like a life group, doesn't it? A group where you have the opportunity to clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience as you do life together. But then even within the 12 disciples, Jesus spent much of his time with just three of them, Peter, James, and John, that he spent more time mentoring and teaching and loving. Jesus did not try and spend equal time with every person that he encountered here on earth. But everyone he encountered, he showed love. He showed patience. He showed compassion. But he spent most of his time with just a few of them as he mentored and discipled and loved them. Interesting. What is our identity? We are children of God. How can the world identify us as that? By how we love each other. In the end, that's our witness. If you strip away every other way of identifying you, if you, if you take away any other way that people might look at you and, and say that's your identity, if you take away our heritage, uh, what we look like, our nationality, our family, if you take away what we do, if you take away our knowledge, if you take away uh, the things we own, if you take away our abilities, our strengths, and our skills, we can still have a witness as followers of Jesus Christ by how we love each other. That's how we can identify ourselves. Could I have the team to come up? I'm just going to share one last thought. You know, there's a story told in the Gospels that I know I've talked about before, and so have another number of others, and, and you'll, you'll know it. But we read after the arrest of Jesus that most of his disciples scatter, but then Peter followed him to the courtyard of the high priest. And while he's there, one of the servant girls sees Peter, and she identifies him by what he looks like. She says, you also were there with the Nazarene Jesus. But Peter denies it. He says, no, 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 I, I, don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And then a little later on, he spotted again. This fellow is one of them. They identify him by association, right? 
No, said Peter, I don't know him. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then a third time, someone sees him and actually identifies him by his nationality, by his, his accent. Surely you're one of them because you're a Galilean. No, I swear, I don't know him, Peter denies for a third time. And then, as we know, the rooster crows, and he's reminded of what Jesus had told him would happen. So three times Peter is identified, in actual fact, this time, correctly. But three times he refuses to identify himself. But after his resurrection, Jesus comes and speaks with Peter, and he forgives him and he restores him in a most incredible way. And we read all about it in John 21. Jesus asks him, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord. And a second time, Jesus asks, do you love me? Yes, Lord, said Peter. And a third time, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's like Jesus is saying, Peter, identify yourself. Who are you? Identify yourself. Do you love me? Can you prove that you're a follower of me by, by, by loving me? It's not, will you serve me? It's not, do you believe in me? It's not, will you worship me? No, it's, do you love me? Prove that you are my disciple by showing love. Because even though Peter can make a mistake and stuff up and choose to not identify himself as a child of God, guess what? He still was one. His identity hadn't changed. He was still a child of God through Christ. We cannot become more or less a son or a daughter of God just because of the way we do things or in our words or our actions. Our identity is found in the fact that he is our father. But we can become greater witnesses to that. We can allow other people to more readily identify us as that. How? By how we love each other. We can love one another better. We can serve each other better. We can care for each other more. We can look after each other more. We can sacrifice for one another more. We can learn to put ourselves second, to put each other first, to walk with one another, support one another, sacrifice for one another, to love one another as he loved us. Our identity is that we are children of God. So let's prove to the world that we are by identifying ourselves by the way we love each other. We're going to go into a time of worship now. I'd invite you to stand as we sing. Thanks.